and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which, as you know, is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And my very good friend, Jace Hunt, is on screen. Jace, how the devil are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you? Do you know what? I'm all right. I'm all right. I've had a good day. I've been messing around with the CRM system. So anything I do from now on is the best part of my day, actually. (laughs) What about yourself? Uh, I've been um, looking at student numbers and capacities of classrooms. It's been absolutely fascinating. Rock and Big roll. spreadsheet in front of me. Rock Fantastic. and roll. Rock and roll. Uh, I think <laughs> we'd better get in quick for our guest leaves on the back of that introduction. <laughs> we are very pleased. It's it's ten past ten. This is a late <gasps> one for us because we're we're we our guests from New York, and we're speaking to actor, author, <laughs> and occasional bassist <laughs> uh, Frank Bello from Anthrax. How are you, Frank? <laughs> Hello, boys. How are you? And thank you. I have to say this. People don't know this over there. I've had internet problems today. So these boys were generous enough to, with their time, to wait a little while while I, I yelled at, <laughs> I yelled at my, my cable company. And <laughs> we got it back. We, we, we used the time well. We, we were on reverb for a good 40 minutes. It wasn't an issue at all. Time well spent. It's all good. <laughs> Everybody's we're not happy. sponsored by Reverb, but Reverb, if you want to chuck in a bit of money for sponsorship, <laughs> then then it's still open to you. You it can works. have that one for free. <laughs> so, so Frank, how's, yes, we'll we'll start with a question we tend to start um, with with most. How's how's COVID been? Because obviously, you're New York, and you you yeah. got it fairly fairly hard, fairly quick, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's um. Look, I don't want to beat a dead horse, and no pun intended, but I, for me, I, I, I'm like everybody else. I'm just tired. I'm tired of it. Look, I have a family. I bring my son to school every day. I'm Mr. Mom. My, my wife is working upstairs. I'm in this basement. Dude, I live in this basement creating. This is where, but I want to play. Anthrax played nine shows last year, and we were lucky to do that. Yeah. Uh, nine, like festival-sized shows in America. And you know when you get the taste and you, you can't have more, like you want yeah. to do that next show. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I'm at that point now, we have a wonderful tour booked in Europe, and I'm really, and UK, I'm really hoping it really happens. It like really happens because we can say this right now, we can talk right now and be all ready for these shows, but that rug can be pulled out at any time. And we've had it, how many people have done, how many tours have been pulled already? Friends of mine are going on tour now, and um. They don't know if they're, after the first show, they're going to have the second show and a lot of money can be lost. All that crazy stuff. I literally just had to pull off of um, Shiprocked and that mm-hmm. bums me out just because uh, I have an autoimmune thing going and it's a little dangerous right now to be in close proximity like that. That's straight from my doctor. I don't I don't like uh, canceling gigs, but that's that's life for now. So right now, creatively, it's it's great because I think it, it lends itself to an angry kind of writing. <laughs> so I think that helps with, with the Anthrax record and, and my solo stuff that I'm working on. I think that it's going to give it, it's giving it a nice edge. Um, but I, like everybody else, I'm the same. Let's, let's, let's go, let's, let's move on. And when, and when let's do this, please. Yeah. Have you been writing a new Anthrax album? Cause I, I was looking at this uh, 2016, the last album came out. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And yeah, I promised my, my, uh, 
Anthrax is publicist that I wouldn't talk about this, but yes, I can say that. And it's in the works because she looks at all this stuff. She goes, why are you talking? I said, we're supposed to be quiet. Yes, we, we, we've been working. How about that? Yeah. And, and, and we're very happy. Um, but long story short, um, this is where it is. I mean, you know, we did a bunch of these videos for because it became very in to do all these videos and jamming with different band, band, band people. Uh, I did it all in this basement. So I feel like, look, I love being home, but I've been doing this a long time. I've never been home this amount of time. I no, 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 I want to. I love my family, but I don't want to be home this long. I, I, I want to play as for as long as I can play on those stages. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is taking a chunk out of that, and it really pisses me off. It really does. I mean, this we're going into the third year. This yeah. is it's like it, there's, there's nobody to blame, right? But you just you say when, when, and you, you try to bite your tongue, right? And I think Omicron kicked us all really hard, not because necessarily it's been any worse than the other strains, but that it hit so quick and it took hold so quickly. Right. And Delta, yeah. you know, I can just speak for myself and I don't speak for anybody else, but I remember just getting over my, right, we hit the peak and we hit the peak with Delta. I thought it was the peak, but then they said it, it felt like two days later, Omicron came in. And while Delta was still at the peak, it, it, feel, it felt like we had both of them at the same time. And then Omicron just ate it up, you know, because it was so contagious. And it's like, all right, when, what, just when you get to breathe again, literally, I mean, my mom, my mom just got out of the hospital, uh, literally, uh, from COVID. Um, she's, she's got other uh, ailments, but um, she had a, a minor heart attack while she had COVID. It was a terrible thing. And thank God she's okay now. And, uh, she had complications, but um, we just went through a rough ride. So hmm. I just see it firsthand. My neighbor across the street was in. <laughs> this is when COVID first hit. It's thank God he's okay now. He was in. He was in a coma for three months. My my Jesus. friend Tony across the street was in a coma <clears throat> on a ventilator where the doctors gave up. They said, "Look, less rights and all that stuff." Mm. And thankfully, he came through. So this is a real. It's the real deal, man. I was reading your book. Um, I'm not read all of it, but I've I've I've, I've read you know, some sections of it. And mm -hmm. one of the things that really came across was, um, was how important your mum is to you. So that must have been, that must have been really hard. Yeah. Family in general is really important to me because I, that's my, my foundation, mm -hmm. um, where I grew up and where, 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 what's in all the other bull that's around with this whole music scene and fame and all that other stuff. It all comes back to family for me. Yeah. And it's, it's all really, that's where you'll end up. Let's face it. Who's going to be at your funeral? You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Think about that stuff. It's like, it comes around, man. And you can play the game, like all this fanfare and all this, this fame and all this, what the music industry does and what that does. And I'm not into that whole game. I, I, I'm in really into fame. I'm really into family. I'm really into knowing my family's secure. Uh, and my mom is very important to me. I lost my grandmother, who you read in the book, was very, yes. very important to me. Uh, she was. I grew up with her in that house when when my dad took off. I went to live with my grandmother because we had no money, um, and that's what, this is all in the book. Um, I like the way I properly placed the book right back. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Apologies because it's audio only, but we will we'll describe how beautifully you've placed the book in the <laughs> in the <laughs> show. So it's, just just so you guys know, it's, 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 we'll take a screenshot really and share it as well. <laughs> I, I, I'm very lucky because Joel who um, our mutual friend that organized this actually sent me a signed copy of it. Look at that. I know. We, we can get you guys. 
I shall have to bring it to the September gig in yes. 22 and get you to sign it as well. Yes, and I will bring another. Thank you, because I'm reading I, the PDF. So I, I will bring you another and I will sign it and get, we'll no, get you Thank you, thank you. Oh, of course, no worries. Let's dive straight in with the book. Why now? <sighs> Great question. You know, Joel MacGyver, my co-writer, uh, we've known each other for quite a while. And Joel figured this out when the first email I approached him, I said, maybe we should write a book. It was about, I think it was eight years. He had the actual day. Uh, because he's like that. Uh, he act, the actual day we, we first started to talk about, it, it took about eight years for me to get a time off the road. And Joel, who's a busy, busy writer, as you know, um, to get it together. And COVID, I was sitting right here in this seat and um, looking at the walls, how much writing can you do? And just feeling creative, but something else. And this was it. I said, maybe this is the time. And I gave Joel a call and it, and it just worked out. His, his schedule was open and we just started the sessions right then and there. It was awesome. And, and look, in this space right here, I've had a big, big box of tissues from some of the pain that I've gone through in my life with the um, trials and tribulations of my life and, uh, and got through it. And there was some really a lot of fun times with vodka and, and whiskey right here talking about because Joel is great for picking my head. He can start a line uh, on a story because he knows where I've been. And it, it kind of lit the fuse of the story where my mouth would just keep going. And it, it just, and that's the vibe of the book is that we, the first thing I asked Joel what I wanted to do was I, I really wanted to feel like we're sitting at a pub. Yeah. Having a beer, having a pint or a cup of coffee, whatever, whatever you do, and just talking. And, um, and from the feedback I've been getting, the great messages and, and just the great comments I've been getting on this book, I'm very thankful and great reviews. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, it's been it's been that it's feel people say they feel like I'm talking with them and that's that's what matters to me. It really feels feels good to hear that. Yeah, well, there's two. I mean, the two things I would say that really struck me. One one was that it's got a rhythm. It's got the rhythm of of, of a story being told. That's really obvious while you're reading it. I think the other thing is it's brutally honest to the point of being raw. Yeah, to be honest with you, man. Um, <clears throat> I even called Joel that when we finally got. <laughs> you know, the, the finished product and I've read through it. I was really, really scared. I think I, I, I questioned my wife as I said, is this too much of me? Mm. To be honest, then a lot of people say that when they write book, but this is so fucking raw. I'm always, even when I read some of it now, I'm like, wow, should I have said that? You know, should I have, should I put that out? Because that's a very personal thing. Some of these things are so personal. Like I'll give you a case in point. One of the, one of the stories from the book is, is very personal to me that really hit hard and really to relive this pain in my life was really tough. The part where my brother, my brother was murdered. My brother was 23 years old. He was murdered in the Bronx, New York. Um, and we went through the trial. They, they, they had the alleged murderer and we had to go through the Bronx criminal courts to relive that. And when I tell you this guys, I had a, a big box of tissues going through that. And it tells you the book takes you through the whole process again of showing up finding out that my brother was murdered by my uncle charlie who's in my band anthrax he came to my house screaming and he drove me down to the murder scene and if you guys have ever seen law and order or any shows like that it was very much a scene like that you don't want to you don't want really to live this but that's what it was uh where it cops ambulances uh fire trucks people everywhere around and um seeing a person with a sheet on top of them that person was my brother it doesn't penetrate but you know what made me penetrate 
it made it made it penetrate when I saw his shoes that weren't covered, his brand new shoes that he just bought that he's very proud of with blood on them. Yeah. And that still is a scar. And I said this in other interviews, but it's very real. It's and I, I questioned if I should have took people through that play by play on that to see like right after I remember seeing my brother on the floor and just completely just it, you just lose it. You just, you're empty. It just guts you. And then I look over to my right and then it's just my mom standing there who I didn't know was there yet. And it just felt like there's, there's nobody around her. Uh, my, I guess my other family members are around there, but I didn't see them. It was like a, it seemed like a glow to me around there. Like she just glowed to me because she was so alone. It was so desperate. And I don't wish this on anybody, but when I talk about this scene, specifically something like that, and then I take people through the courts about how they, the alleged murderer and his family and friends tried to intimidate, uh, allegedly, you know, I have to say everything alleged legally. So uh, it was a bad scene. It was a bad scene. But I, I wonder, I wondered if I should have um, put that out there. But what I'm getting back is people are connecting with it. And that is more important to me than anything uh, is they're getting it. They're understanding it. The, the, that feeling of loss, there's a lot of people that are, that are writing me on this about their loss. So we're connecting on that. And it's almost like we're, we're soothing each other. You, you know what I mean? It's almost like a soothing thing. And another part about the book is abandonment. When my dad took off for 10, I was 10 years old and a family, I was the oldest of a family of five. I can't tell you the amount of comments and letters I'm getting from people talking about abandonment and their story mm. and how they're connecting with it. And we're kind of soothing each other on this. And so if the book, I don't want to call it a self-help book, but if it could help anybody, if I can hope it helps one person, then it, it's all good, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things is because unlike Ant, I have read the whole book. He's just lazy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> not a competition. <laughs> one. One of the things that I've written down is that because there, there are, like you say, some significant moments in the book, that the abandonment, the, the murder and so on. And I just wonder whether throughout the whole thing, I always felt that anthrax had been your savior in all of this. Great point, my friend. Great point. You know, Anthrax, and I, I, I'm very, very thankful and humbled from Anthrax because it's it's always given me, since 17 years old, I got in the band at 17 years old. I'm 56 now, so it's been a good run. Um, it's always been my outlet for pain. It's always been anxiety. Um, anything I, it would be my escape. It really is my escape. Music in general is my outlet. But to have this great band that I'm in, that I'm very proud of, that we've, since kids, since we've been together since kids, um, it's always been my outlet, specifically around that time. When that that horrible circumstance happened way back in 96, these guys rallied around me, my band, and uh, they're my brothers. I love them for it. Um, and they really, they were all, they loved Anthony, my, my brother Anthony. They all really understood where, where I was. And we did a tour. We had a Japanese, I say this in the book, we had a Japanese tour booked three weeks after the murder where I was in no, no frame of mind to do. And I was going to pull out. And then I remember my mom saying, you should do it. And I know my brother, 
my brother Anthony would want me to do because he was a big fan and he wouldn't want to see anything derail what we were doing. People would have lost a lot of money, promoters, a crew. It didn't make sense not to do it. So all I asked the guys and my manager, I said, just one thing I asked, just let me go into my room and just let me cry. Yeah. And when it's showtime, I'll come out, we'll do the show, just let me go back and cry. And um, so I wrote, in Japan, I wrote this song, it's called Pieces. Um, it's uh, actually on this, it's a, it's a, on a, a record called Volume 8 from Anthrax. It's a hidden track uh, on, a, on a, the record, Volume 8. So if you hear that, the last song on that, on that record, it's called Pieces. And it's a song to my brother, Anthony. It's about saying goodbye. And I wrote it in Japan while I was crying. Um, and it, that's my goodbye to him. And people have written more about anything, that song, about connecting with that song, about their loss. They're connecting with it. And they say it soothes them. So there you go again with music, really being the outlet and, and helping you through the, the anguish of life. I was going to say, I mean, you, you know, you said you, you don't know whether you put too much of yourself in there, whether there are certain things you should or you shouldn't have said. I, I, I guess the only person who can answer that is you, because at the end of the day, yeah. if, if, if it feels right to you, then it's right. You know, it's exactly what I said after reading the draft, um, you know, after numerous conversations with my mom uh, and no, my wife, more, more my wife. And then my mom, I said, are you OK with this? And she was good with it. And um, for me, I, it just it's it was cleansing. It was really cathartic. Yeah. It was really cathartic to get it out. And after the fact, just from hearing so many people from this book and the reviews and all the great stuff that's happened with it, I'm very proud of that. I'm very humbled from it. Um, then, yeah, now I feel I'm, I'm so glad I went. I, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. And, um, and I'll tell you, man, uh, one of the reasons why that opened the door for me on this and the gate, and I told him, I said this in another interview one time and it got blown up pretty, pretty good. Uh, I saw this interview, um, my bud, James Hetfield, and it's a film called Absent. It was in, like, he did an interview and he said, he talked about his, his thing with abandonment and it really made me see clear that it was okay to talk about and open up even more, even more than I thought I was going to open up. So by him opening up so much, it made me see, it made me feel like, okay, you know, it's, it's okay to do that. I mean, it, it looked good when James did it and it felt, it, you could see it felt good for him to open up like that. So it kind of convinced me to, to open and just let it out. And when I did, it really felt good. I'll ask one more question because I know Jason wants to jump in, particularly about sure. that picture behind your head. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, Are we talking Kiss? We, we may well be. That's what I was going to say, but I'm quite happy to talk about Kiss for the rest of the night. And everybody who listens <laughs> to this podcast knows how Jason feels about Kiss, and that's that's all fine. The question I'm going to ask before we go is, so you're 56. Yes. Okay. Um, are you dyeing that hair then? Because there's no grey there at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, dude, look at, look at the size. Oh, all right, okay. All right, then. Just, right. just checking. Because I started going grey in my mid thirties, I have thought about dyeing it purple. Ah, why not? I don't. What does it matter? I'm in my fucking basement. What what else do I have to do? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I saw this. I saw this. Um, this cool color. I was out shopping with my wife the other day. I saw this cool color. I said, I don't. I should just dye my hair purple. I'm stay in my basement. I don't. It doesn't matter anymore, really. Just do what you <laughs> want to do. I'm just jealous but... of how little gray you've got. <laughs> well, it, it'll get there. Believe me. When this this thing this whole thing is usually gray. Well, it's, it's salt and pepper now. Right. That's what. See that frustrates yeah. me because mine's ginger. I've got I've got yeah. gray hair, but I've still got this ginger thing in my stubble. Wait, you have salt and pepper going? Yeah, on, well, right? a little bit, a little bit. But, there's, but okay. if you, if you were here now, you'd realize yeah. there's there's bits of and I've, I've got no problem with ginger. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not <laughs> just clear that up, right? No problem with ginger, but not just there. Yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna own ginger, I want I want the whole lot. Uh, if I'm going to be ginger, I want to be ginger, right? Not yeah. just bits. Have you had hair. long hair? Have you had Not long for hair? a long, long time. I did have long hair when I was at university, yeah. Um, yeah. But then, you know, because I couldn't play the guitar, I ended up, I, you know, and I went into retail. I, it had to go. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but grey really early, the mid-30s, it started to go. Oh, it's yeah. terrible. I, I just deal with it. And, you know, whatever's going to happen. Deal with it? You haven't happen. got any. What do you mean deal with it? <laughs> Well, that's that's because of the lighting in here. Right. Okay. <laughs> wow. In which case, send me your lighting plan. I'll do that for the it's, next one. You know, this lighting is like literally. I don't have the light. I I bought one of those things for when you do selfies and stuff. I don't even have it on. I have these. These are my basement lights that are on the top. <laughs> Jay, she's fast becoming my least favorite guest. Just, 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 just move on. All I was going to say. Really, and I hate myself for saying this because Joel McIver is a massive cock, and I'm saying that because <laughs> I know he's going to listen to this. Um, is that Joel wouldn't let you put anything in the book that he didn't think shouldn't go in the book? Because as much as I fucking hate saying this, he's a really good writer. He's great. He's he's a great writer, and he he's a confidant. Um, he's very easy to talk to. And let me ask. Let me tell you. Let me ask you. Let me tell you this. I bounced a lot of things off of him and just said, how does this work, man? How does it sound coming out of my mouth? Does that sound, you know, because I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound angry. I was angry in a lot of these circumstances. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not scaring the reader because I'm just, I just want to talk to you. But I, I just, but I also want you to feel of the pain that was going through that circumstance and that time. I think I think we we got there. I think we got there. But I always bounced it off of Joel, uh, the way I said it, and it was important because it was just, it was it was a very natural conversation. The whole writing of the book was a, is a bounce back and forth. And once he just let me go, it was it was really writing monologues. It was kind of it was kind of fun, just to get it all out. It's like ah, oh, and I remember just just finishing the sessions for the day. I went I went back upstairs and and just poured a drink. I said that was fucking. Ah, you know, just like relaxed, you know, like a relaxed vibe. I got it, that part done. Mm. It really felt good. I think, I mean, there was there was a couple of bits that I I thought uh, that there's there's genuine anger there, but I thought, but it was completely appropriate to what you were talking about, and and yeah. that's the point. I think every emotion that I came across, the bits I've read, and I say I'm not, you know, as Jason's pointing out, I've not read it all, but um, <laughs> but the emotions were appropriate to what I was reading. Yeah. I, yeah, I, because I wanted you to feel like that too. I think that was important. I wanted you to to, get, to crawl in my skin, really. I mean, just put yourself self in my place, and how would you feel in this circumstance? And look, I, but again, and 
we can go to the other side. And I, I know you want to get here because we looked at the picture in the back of me. <laughs> He's Jason, not me. <laughs> he can't, he can't yeah. help himself. There's a lot of great um, – look, I'm going to be honest. You guys probably know this by now. Kiss was a very big deal to me in my lifetime. It still is, to be honest. It was – when I was looking for uh, validation and just heroes, heroes to look up to, really, because there was no – like. You guys know there's no father figure. So you look to, who can you look up to? Who do you want to aspire to be like? When I saw Kiss for the first time, man, I said, that is what I want to do. And, and that was it, straight out. I said, how do I get there? How, how do I get on stage and do that? That convinced me. And then my heroes, the bass players that I grew up with, Getty, Steve Harris, you know, uh, Geezer, those became my bass heroes. And it made me look forward to something. You know, mm. you know what I mean? It made me look forward instead of, you know, what happens in the abandonment zone, you get this, this emptiness. I, I, it's like a pit. It's like a, an endless pit in your gut, man. And you're looking to fill it and you really, you don't understand things. I mean, 10 years old, I didn't understand what happened. And I was just like, all right, but who can fill this bad feeling I have? What, what makes me feel better? And how do, how do I soothe myself and the outlet of music specifically kiss? And it just took, it all made sense. It all started making sense where I can just gear and just focus. And that was a tunnel vision thing after that. It was so tunnel vision. I said, I will get on stage. I will learn how to play. And I will put on, I will try to put on a great show. And it really, it still inspires me. I've been watching a lot of old Kiss lately, guys. A lot of old Kiss stuff. There's a lot of great stuff on YouTube. People send me stuff. Those guys... You know what? They deserve everything. They've earned everything they have. I mean, from where they started. I look at them now. I'm looking at a, a picture of, of Kiss. Let me just show you this picture. My friend, actually, he's my my cousin's. Can you see oh, that? Wow. Isn't that a cool yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. My buddy Anthony Minetti made that. It's awesome. I'm gonna. I still haven't hung it in the right place. I wanted to yet, but. It still inspires me when I see that, when I see pictures of them to know their journey. And again, not even to go back to the book, but I'm going to go back to the book, to have Gene Simmons, Gene Simmons write the forward to my book. You have to understand how special that it was. Uh, when Joel actually told me it was going through and I, I was, I really didn't believe it until it was done. Yeah. And, and when it was done, and then when I read it and how, how from the heart Gene came from, which I never look. I've been a fan for, of Gene Simmons for a long time. I've read a lot of his interviews. I mean, most interviews. I've never heard him speak like that because it was straight from his heart. Uh, I've met his mom. She was a God rest her soul. She was a beautiful, beautiful person. Uh, but he spoke about his dad in, in, in my forward. I've never seen that before. Um, and I was, I was very. Um, it was, it was so heartfelt. It was so heartfelt from Gene. Uh, and I thank him for that. I really thank him for going so deep because it, it was really deep for me. And I, I could still read that now. I, I've never heard him talk like that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have him in the book. I, 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 sorry, Dan, one thing, Jason. No, this is my bit now. We're on case. Fuck off. <laughs> I was just about to be nice to you. Oh, God. I was then. just about to say because, um, I mean, I'm a few years younger than Jace. Um, not many, just a few. Um, it doesn't look that way, does yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, the sharper focus on my camera. You just need a better webcam. Um, 
but and I just I just missed the kiss thing, and I just and it's it's very similar with Bowie as well. I just missed Bowie as oh. well. I was the wrong age for both of them. I get and, it. and and it's a shame because for for people you know who w- did go through it, um, it's very very special to you. And right. and I I see that. And the number of times and yes, I know we joke. It comes up on the podcast quite a lot. But <laughs> everybody we've ever spoken to about Kiss and everybody I've ever spoken to, particularly about Bowie, it's a really special thing for them. And I actually feel a little bit like I you know I was I was three or four years out of sync because mm. by the time. You go back to it, but it's not the same. I understand that. It was, I call it magic time. It was a magical time. Um, it was, it was everything. It was before MTV. It was before all this, where you can actually listen to a song and, and get into the band. And, and there was this whole makeup thing that was, I remember when I opened Kiss Alive, I remember I saw in Charlie Benanti, the drummer of my band, um, we grew up together in the same house. I remember he got Kiss Alive and I saw it. He opened it up and he put the record on. And I said, oh. yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I was trying to figure out who sang, who who played, you know, everything it was just like all this, this magical stuff. And it took me away. And that's, I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened. It took me away from all the pain. It, everything was fine. And it put me in this bubble. It really, in this great kiss bubble. And all the music was great. Zap, all that stuff. Bowie, Bowie was awesome. But I wish I got, I love Bowie. I wish I could have been into Bowie back then the way I was into Kiss. Because now I am. Now I am into Bowie like that because I, I, I missed how great he really was and he is. And I listened to, thank, thankfully we have all that great music. Um, but yeah, I understand where you're at with, with the Bowie thing. But, but Kiss, I lived it. It, it was part of, part of us. It literally was part of our upbringing. It was our best friend, to, our go-to, our go-to guy. I'll go to band. You see, me, me and my mates were so envious because, like, Kiss didn't come to the UK very often. The first album I actually saw was Alive 2. And you get mm-hmm. the gate because obviously it's a record because it's like, for me, it was the very early 80s. And you open up that 24 inch by 12 inch and you look at that. And I just remember going, God, God that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. That looks amazing. Exactly. The next tour that I could go to. And I was only 13 was the Lick It Up tour, which obviously the makeup's come off and they're not and they're not playing anything like decent sized venues or anything. So there's they've bought the tank over, but that's it sort of thing. Uh, And, um, you know, and then, you you know, they kind of build up and they build up and we get the peak of crazy, crazy nights and they're playing arenas again and, and stuff like that. But they're still not coming very often. So um, when they did the garden for the end of the road tour, March, oh God, three years ago, is it now? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. The, me and my mate flew over and, and went to the garden and had just like the best week. We went for a week. We went for one gig and we went for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and it I was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We, we, you know, we went down to, you know, what was CBGB and, you know, yeah. we did that whole sort of thing. And, and, and it's like, you know, at the time might have been what 49, Paul would have been 52. And we were just like, we were still like little teenagers inside. Like we're seeing yeah. kids at the garden. This is amazing. And they were, they were fantastic. Given that they're like 70 years old, they're incredible. It's inspiring. It's inspiring that those guys are able to get on the stage and put on that kind of show. Mm. Regardless of what you think about Kiss, I'm just saying as a, as a human being, 
70, the, the, the guys are in their 70s and still kicking ass. And I have to, you have to tip your hat. It inspires me. I want, I hope I get to 70. I hope I can be playing on a stage somewhere, right? I, I just look, it's a great human thing that they were able to do that. Yeah, there's money and all, the, all that great stuff, but it's still, they're putting on a fucking, who else is putting on a show like Kiss? Think yeah. about that. Yeah. Nobody, really. No. That kind of show, it's pretty insane. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny you mentioned CBs. I just did this whole thing for the book where I, I went to different parts of my upbringing that are in the book and I did little video segments of each scene, CBs. And there was one, I'll go back to, uh, and this is this is all in, in the book. I have to say this for the Kiss fan here. Back in the day of that those magical times, there was, uh, I'm a New Yorker. I lived in the Bronx, New York, grew up in born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Manhattan was about a 20 minute, 25 minute bus ride to, to the city. My friend Tom and I, we would go downtown and meet them at their management. And it was a, you talk about magical time. Now having Kiss in your life was a magical time, 14, 15 years old, oh my God, right? To get to go downtown and find out they're, they're having a meeting at their management and waiting, you can call it stalking, waiting in front of, <laughs> you could, wasn't waiting stalking in front of their management. <laughs> we waited. And I'm talking about like January, February weather, like where you're yeah. freezing your balls off. Uh, you talk about dedication. We waited. We waited out to uh, freezing. So these guys, we didn't know what they looked like back then because they would never photograph without makeup. Yeah. So you would see these like six foot plus guys with big six, uh, seven inch heels on. It was insane back then. Long hair. And they would come up and we knew it was them because they, this is these are the, they're the only guys looking like that. And we got to know these guys, and they and Gene. Gene would just say to me after a while. After a while, he, you know, you say, "My name's Frank," and he, what's your last name, Frank Bello? Okay, so he would just go, "Frank Bello, how do you know we're here all the time? I want to know why and who's your contact info that you know that we're here." And he would just ask questions all the time, and he'd be on to us that my friend Tom had an in with the management. So I don't know what in it was, but he got a call. They have a, a meeting today. We would fly, we cut out of school, we fly downtown, and just. <laughs> wait and, and wait for them and ask them a, a zillion kiss questions that's what we do you know it was it was a great there's that great story where you actually well i wouldn't say break into electric lady studios <laughs> but kind of sneak in and end up listening to unreleased tracks with gene yeah this is actually uh, electric lady was um with steve harris um Right Track Studios, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Right Track Studios on 48th Street. Um, quick story. So Tom got it, got an in. He got an inside word that um, they were in in the studio, this Right Track Recording Studio in Manhattan. So uh, I love that place. It was a, it was a great studio. Anthra Anthrax actually recorded there one time. It was awesome. Um, so Tom got the word. We flew. We cut out of school. We went downtown on the bus, and we get in front of Right Track Studios. I'm intimidated. I just want to wait there. I don't want to go in. But Tom, the aggressor, balls, <laughs> balls of steel, man, balls of steel. He goes, come on, go on. I was like, no, Tom. I'm like, come on, come on, go on. He had this high voice. We both had high voices. No puberty there. So come on, come on, go on. So fucking Tom rings the bell. God bless him. Zzz, right track. Yeah, my friend Tom just has the mouth, dude. Uh, yeah, we're here to see Gene. Two seconds later, zzz, they ring us up. They ring us up. I, I, I'm petrified. I'm walking through this. I, I say this, and we're going through this long hallway to an elevator to go up to the studio. 
I'm walking like I'm I'm walking through molasses. I can't. I'm so fucking afraid that we're going to get beat up by a security guard or or Kiss is going to get mad at us. I'm 15. I'm scared shit. We get up to the studio. We get in the elevator. I'm like, I'm shivering. Elevator goes up, second floor. Door is open. There's nobody at the desk. The front desk is right there. There's nobody at the desk. Looking around. I'm not going out the fucking elevator. But Tom, of course, first step out. Fuck Tom, right? So he takes the step out. We're looking around. I have to take the step out. We look to our left. There's this wall. But preceding that wall was, you see, two cowboy boots with their feet up. There's a TV over there. Somebody's watching TV to the left of us. We look around the wall. It's the one and only Gene Simmons. So I'm going to put the face on that Gene after he sees Tom and I, who've seen him a lot lately, right? So the Gene is enjoying some cookies right here. He's just watching TV after a take. He's, he's working, so he's relaxing. So he, he looks up to us, and this was his face. <sighs> just a complete sigh. Complete sigh, because he can't believe that we found our way in there, right? And I feel horrible, horrible this time. My friend Tom right away, hey, Gene, with a high voice. Hey, Gene, how you doing? He's got a zillion questions. He's just banging away questions. He goes, oh, Gene stops him. He goes, how did you know I'm here? And do you, how would you feel if I came into your living room and bothered you while you're working? He just gave us this whole speech thing that I felt horrible about. I felt really terrible. So, uh, so of course, as, after he asked that question, Tommy goes, you can come to my house anytime you want. You know, he just gives one of those answers. So that's Tom. God bless him. I love him. So, so Gene just gives up at this point. He knows we're there. He goes, he looks at his cookies. Would you like a cookie? Of course, Tom. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tom grabs a cookie. Tom grabs one of Gene's cookies. So Gene's, he's, he's understanding that we're diehards and he's, he's a great person. So he, he goes, he finally gives up. He goes, would you like to hear a track? And it was fucking Christmas time all of a sudden. It's like, would we like to hear a track? Would we like to, oh my God, we were, our heads just blew. Gene calls in on the phone, talks to the engineer. Can you make my friends here young and wasted? This song, it was a great song called Young and Wasted. He sends us in, sits us down at the front of the speakers and just blows our fucking minds. Plays Young and Wasted. We're blown away. It was a great song. We loved it. Blah, blah, blah. So we're coming out. And so he goes, so? How did you like the song? And we we couldn't stop. Oh my God, my baby, it's the best, the best, the best song ever. You know, we, we couldn't stop. Two kids just going nuts. We heard something that nobody else has heard. So we, we felt very in the club, you know? So then Gene, Gene gives us his final speech. So I've given you everything you want. Um, you've eaten my cookies. I've made you hear a song. Now, can I get back to work? And it was, and I was just like, we were on cloud nine, so nothing like, sure, Gene Chose. So we get in the elevator, and we go, and that was the time. It was it was an insane, insane Christmas time, I call it. I think the, the two things about that is, one is your Gene Simmons impersonation is really good. <laughs> um, he, I, I interviewed him about 18 months ago for Bass Player magazine, and it was the freakiest thing in the world. I was sat here at my desk, and my mobile phone goes, and he goes, hi, it's Gene Simmons. And I'm like, Fuck, that's the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> and and he was he was lovely. And I, I you know probably like lovely. you, I've read a lot of interviews where I go, oh fucking Gene, just turn it in, mate. Just stop it. <laughs> Actually, when you talk to him, he was really funny. He was really warm. Um, and I had a smart, yeah, smart, you know, he's he's got it all. I mean, really, he's got the whole package. Really, he knows how to do this. 
and he kind of plays with it. He, he kind of plays with it. And that's at this at this stage, he's like he's been through it all. Yeah. Right? If you think about it, I kind of admire where he's at because he's just reflective. I love the reflective time he's in right now. Um, I love it that he's a great family man. Uh, he's he's a great father, you know, and he, he's still waving that kiss flag. Come on, man. There's something there's something great about that. It really is. And the other thing, throughout the whole of the book, you seem to retain that fan mentality. Yeah. Like the amount of times you've written. So we were touring with Slayer and I hung out every night on the stage watching their set. I you know, We were touring Pantera and I hung out every night on the stage watching their set. You don't seem to have lost that in th- i mean you see so many bands that sort of like their set's done they're in the car they're off they're going to the next gig before the headliners even come on but you seem to be just really into it still well yeah i am very much into it and look we all know and i've learned this from my brother's passing we have this much time on this earth and we don't know about today we don't know about tomorrow we all found this with covid also um i learned this a long time ago to enjoy the moment and that sounds cliche and it is cliche, but I could give a shit. The truth of the matter is I want to enjoy each moment. And the Slayer Farewell Tour specifically, I remember being on tour of Pantera, staying on the side of the stage. And this is all in the book. You know, there's a lot of great rock and roll stories in the book that I'm very proud of in the book that I put in there on purpose because I wanted the people I wanted people to take that ride with me. So I remember even the Slayer side of the stage thing on their farewell tour, it was important to me because that was never going to be again. And enjoy each moment because I have great, great video and, and, and film footage of, of the, the last night and uh, the last night that I was on tour with them, the dressing rooms that'll never be again, all that great stuff, the Pantera stuff. There's so many great stories that I have and I put some of them in the book that are just great fond memories that I'm taking you with me, like almost like you're a fly on the wall. That was yeah. important to me. And I learned never, never take it for, for granted because it could be gone tomorrow as bands do, you know, it could break up, whatever, you know, things disappear. And I, I learned like, you better enjoy it now. And I, I do that with everything now because I don't know about tomorrow. I, I don't think any of us do. If, if we think we do, you're not, you're not being honest. Yeah. I, I've got a, I've got a great Kerry King story. Go for it. So, so I, um, so I used to run um, a, a big music event, a, uh, place called the nec in birmingham sure of and kerry came over a couple of times actually um and the first time he came over obviously i'd never met him before and he was on the bc rich stand signing autographs it's like a mini nam type sure. thing and um and so he's, he's signing autographs all day on the bc rich stand which was brilliant and then like we head over to the hotel after the show's closed and everything everybody's in the bar and i can see kerry talking to my sponsor, the, the managing director of the sponsor's company. And I'm like, fantastic. I'm going to go over, do the show manager thing. I'm going to say, thank you for coming over from America to do the show, Kerry. Thank you for sponsoring the event, Pat. And I walk over and they're talking soft furnishings, which is not what I wanted from Kerry King. <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs> you see, it's funny because I'm pretty tight with Kerry. Um, and actually, he just moved here. He just moved to New York. All right. Because of COVID, we haven't gotten together yet, but we will. Mm. We've, we've been planning on it. So, uh, but he just literally moved to to uh, thirty minutes from me, which is awesome. So I plan to uh, take part in that when we when we could. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, Kerry's he's just a good dude, man. He's he's a buddy, and uh, he's just a normal dude. You know, he's got that exterior look, but he's he's just a he's a he's a good guy. You know, I get along with him pretty well. So, just to bring us back around, I've been thinking while while you've been talking um, about how badly done to I was at missing out on the kiss thing. Um, so you know, <laughs> but I've actually realised that I got it for me. It was Star Wars. <laughs> I, I, it was Star Wars for me. That was that was the thing. That was the thing that took me away somewhere else. I get it. And obviously, for you know, for for five, six, seven years, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker until I, re- and then I realised that was stupid, absolutely stupid, because it, it was obviously Han Solo, <laughs> and it's been Han Solo ever since. <laughs> uh, you know how I, naive I really was I? <laughs> I know, but I agree with you. It was, for me, it always was Han Solo. Yeah. Well, I you totally were that bit agree. older, you see. Yeah. yeah, you got it straight away. I had to work yeah. my way through to that. Yeah, well, he, he had the, he had the stud, that he was a stud. He oh. was a stud on the, on the oh. you know, he he had it. Look at Princess Leia; she was drooling over him. It was all good. I loved all that stuff. Yeah. I, I, but I see, I leave, I leave it there with the Star Wars whole thing. I haven't gotten into any of the newer stuff, like the whole Boba Fett thing. I haven't gotten into any of that. Um, I don't know. I, I I held those those first films so sacred to they're so sacred to me right now but eventually I'll, I'll later on in life i'll get into the newer stuff well, i guess if you if you do nothing else because i'm quite okay. addicted to i've watched them all watch rogue one <laughs> because rogue okay. one takes place just before star wars chronologically and it looks like okay. star wars and it's it's possibly the best star wars film ever made and it's not one of the actual official okay. films not sure if i've seen that but I'll I'll check it out. I'll go through it again. Why not? It's a night out. Yeah, yeah. Check out Rogue One. It's really brilliant, and it looks the same. So it it feels like Star Wars and looks like Star Wars, and it's set just before Star Wars. In fact, the the two films actually link. The end of Rogue One is literally the point when Star Wars starts. Okay, I will do this. See that I, I call it a night out, but I mean a, a night out from now is in my living room. Yes, that's a night out. <laughs> it's pretty pathetic. Yes. Well, we probably should knock it on the head because it's... Oh, no, I've got one more question. Oh, go on then. Go <laughs> on then. It's, it's not about Kiss, is it? No, it's not about right. Kiss. No, it's not about Kiss. It's about the acting. Oh, yeah, um, we've got to mention yeah. the acting. It's, sure. it's specifically the film that you did, which was uh, Greetings from Tim Buckley, yeah. where you you played Richard Hell. Yeah. And now, did did you kind of... Was Richard involved? Did you hang out with Richard or anything? Because no, it must be quite uh, weird to do someone who's still living. Absolutely. For for me, I just had to do a lot of background, a lot of research on it because I knew about him. I just didn't, I didn't know about him. You know what I mean? I knew I was familiar, but I had to dig in when I got the role because even when I, I auditioned, because I wanted to know more about what I was talking about and all that. Um, and I went into it, and then when I got the when I got the film, I talked to Dan Algrant, the director, and I, I he said he gave me some stuff to, to sink in on, and I I did, and it was great, it was fun, it was it was it was a whole history lesson, which was cool, and I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I could um to dig in like I did because I thought it was important because I kind of just wanted to to give it justice, and mm-hmm. uh, I know, and you know, I I don't want him to be upset with the with the portrayal either, so I just kind of I kind of played it as well as I could with him. Yeah, because I I'd read that you you played CBGB I think with yeah. with Anthrax and it was like and he was so sort of integral to that sort of like seventies scene of it. I wondered if your paths had ever sort of crossed really. Never, never, never met Rich. I wish I would have. But you know, it's funny when you say that that whole seventies thing. See, I love 
you know, I sound like an old man right now. I am an old man. But the 70s, you hit it on the head for me. It was a special, special time, not only for music, but I bring this in the book about New York. Uh, it was a more gritty time for New York, as you guys you guys have yeah. seen the, the pictures and a lot of film film work back then. Scorsese did a number of amazing movies. Um, I, I I just I know it was dangerous. I know it was seedy. I know all of the above, but what there was that then was there was some character there. There was character. Now you've been to Manhattan recently, like you just yeah. said. It's completely different, as you know. It's completely different than what it was or the vibe. Uh, those great, great, uh, even the storefronts, even these mom pa shops, these great places to play, they're all condos now. They're all gutted out and they're all really beautiful, expensive condos. They, they, they look beautiful, but there's really no reason to go down there now. You know, that's what bothers me. It really... I, I find the same, but you know, I mean, Birmingham is not the same as New York, but it's the second biggest city in Britain. Sure. And, and that the, the Birmingham city center that I grew up in, in like the late seventies and in the eighties and particularly the eighties when I was going to clubs and, and blah, 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 was dirty, gritty, CD, vaguely violent at times. Yeah. And, na- and now it looks like any other euro city all the shops are exactly the same because they're all the same chains everywhere you know any little cool clothes shop has been shut down and now it's a coffee shop or like you say it's been turned into apartment blocks or or something and it's just like and i understand like you said in the book that you know it's better that there's no crime and violence and stuff like that it just doesn't feel like home (laughs) no you couldn't have said it better for for me it's the exact thing it's it's not home and where there's the, the grittiness there was a character to it there was it, it built people it put the personality of people that lived in that that area it those characters were, were needed they're needed in life they're needed in, in as songwriters as 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 writers of books as as actors those those seedy things they built character and i don't think that's there now i don't when i see it now it looks like bland you know it just looks bland to me and it it kind of bug, bums me out because I love a good New York story. You know, a good New York story is is always going to hit me at the heart. And I, I'm finding myself having to go back to 70s books, books and movies and just to kind of relive that stuff. Because when I go down there, as I recently was, I couldn't believe it was it was Disneyland. <laughs> it was fucking <laughs> Disney. It was Disneyland, and nothing wrong with Disneyland, but not New York. You know, not, not, you know, there should be specific areas for that, not kind of everywhere. Like the money came in and just like whitewashed the whole thing and just took all that character out. And it kind of bothers me. I worry about what's coming out. And that's why people are going back to the older music now, because where are the writers going to come from if they have nowhere to get yeah. their inspiration from? There was something about the sort of late 70s, maybe a little bit of the early 80s, but there was something about. I don't know what film they used. And by that, I literally mean the film that went in the cameras, but it suited New York. You know how you see some stuff from like the late 60s, 60s, where it seemed to suit the colours, seemed to suit the West Coast. Yes. And and, and you got all that Beach Boys vibe and it all came across in the colours and there's all that real vividness. And there was something about the fact the film in the late 70s had this kind of almost like this, it almost like it needed a clean. That's a great point. You know, yeah. And so the, the the film at the time seemed to suit. Mm-hmm. And you think of all those great films that were set in either London or that were set in 
New York in the late, yeah. you know, in the late seventies and all the stuff. And we had all, you know, and like everything at that point meshed. And it's like, that's the bit of New York that we think about when we think of New York. Right. Like when you think about New York now, I mean, like I live here now, I, I rarely go to Manhattan. I used to go to Manhattan quite a lot and I don't find the reason. There's no reason. Nothing's no. drawing me there. There's no, there's no great record. Um, it's probably one or two, maybe record stores that I love. They've all closed down. I mean, there's so many, there was, it was such a, it was my, my place to grow up. It really was my training. It was my training place. And I, I just found that so much money came in and just really, I want, so many people wanted to live here that people were listening and they took out what, why people wanted to live here. Yeah. They really did take out why people wanted to live here. and it bums me out. So when I go down there, it's a quick visit. It's like I'll bring my wife to a show or something in the Disneyland that is Broadway now. Yeah. You know, and that is true. No, I get it. The one place I find still has it for me, still has that edge, is Berlin. That's the place I ah, still think's got awesome. that Love rhyme Berlin. and that edge. Yeah. And as, and as, you know, it's still scarred by its past as well. You can feel it. You can sense it when you're there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's right there. It's right there. And the edge, edge is a great word for Berlin. I, I love that. Yeah, that's where... I, I love Berlin. We've had some great times there, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, Frank, thank you. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I can't believe an hour, and a, an hour and a quarter has flown by. I, I have to, uh, guys, I'm really sorry about being late on this with the internet stuff. I really, it's very unprofessional. Oh, not a problem in the slightest. It's just been an absolute joy. And thank you. Very yeah, much this is, this, being... the payoff was well worth it. I think yeah. I, I totally, like, I can't believe we, we talked that long. It doesn't feel like it, but thank you. No. And, and to be honest, I think your publicist is wrong. I think I, I, I think it's fine to let people know that you've been doing some 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 new stuff on a new album. I think that's fine. I'll tell her that. Yeah, just <laughs> just, just let her know. I mean, what I'll, do I'll she think? What do people think you've been doing for the last two years? I mean, of course you've been writing a new album. Of course you have. <laughs> Better be doing something. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank, it's been a joy. We we must just before we go, we must also thank our sponsors, uh, Focus Right, who sponsored the podcast. Sure. We must. We, do you use any Focus Right gear, Frank? Uh, no, but if you want to send me some, I'm more well, than no, I, I was going to suggest they did. So <laughs> shout out to Focus, right? You need to send Frank some gear. Um, ready? Yeah, he's demoing new stuff. So come on. Yeah, he's working on your album. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on a record. I'm working on a lot of music here, guys. Yep, so let's yep. let's. Uh... There's an album credit coming, Focus, right? If you get yourself sorted. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks to everybody, Focus, right, for all their continued support, which is great. And uh, Frank, hopefully, we'll see you back end of the year in a pub. In a, a in, a, in a pub and on stage, both. Oh, yeah, well, we'll, let's do that too. We want both. <laughs> uh, and Jace, I'll, I guess I'll see you next time. Yeah, see you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9to42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at The Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.